This month we come to the last few verses and chapters of the gospel according to Luke, the life of Jesus Christ. And today we look to the cross. I don't know how many crosses you've seen this week. People wearing jewelry, maybe a cross on a church building, maybe the crosses you see in this room right now. But does the cross cause you to stop and reflect? Does the cross bring to your mind the sufferings of Jesus Christ? Does the blood of Christ shed for the sins of his people come to your mind when you think and see the cross? Many do not want to think about what actually happened on the cross because they think it's maybe a gruesome picture of the physical torture that Jesus went through. But for all who are in Jesus Christ, the cross means the sign of salvation for all who have faith in Jesus. It's a wonderful, glorious symbol of those who are saved. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, to the church in Corinth in chapter 2, he says this, I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The cross is central to Christianity, and it is the point that we look to today in the life of Jesus Christ as Luke has recorded it for us. We come to the most tragic and the most triumphant moment in history recorded in Luke chapter 23. The innocent, sinless Son of God will be nailed to a cross of wood. And all who oppose Him cannot stop and are not satisfied until He is dead on that cross. The big idea from Luke chapter 23 verses 26 through 43 is this. Jesus died a criminal's death, fulfilling God's sovereign plan so that his people might live as children of God. Would you look with me beginning at verse 26? And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us into the hills, cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. 
One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the sentence, same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of God. I would remind you that every week or every day when you open the Bible... You have the great privilege and the blessing to read the words of God. The one who is giving you life, the creator of the universe. And he has blessed us by giving us his words written so that we might have an understanding of Jesus Christ. Let's look to the text this morning. One of the things that we see in verses 26 to 31 is a heavy cross of grief and of sorrow. If you look there at verse 26, remember, if you have, and if you have not been with us, Jesus has been awake all night. He has been beaten repeatedly. He has been in and out of different trials. He has been found guilty repeatedly. And yet Pilate has tried to free him, saying he is innocent. He's been spit upon. He's been punched in the face. He has had his beard pulled out. He has been flogged. And they took a crown of thorns, placed it on his head, and a staff, which they beat the thorns into his head. They put a robe on him after he was flogged and gave him this stick. And the Roman guards mocked him and kneeled before him and said, Hail the king. Jesus has had tremendous blood loss. And John says in chapter 19, verse 17, And he, Jesus, went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Just like someone causing a prisoner to dig their own grave, the Romans made the criminals carry the crossbeam of their cross to the place of their crucifixion. And John says that this is how Jesus begins his walk to the cross. And as we just read in Luke, and it's also recorded in Matthew and Mark, at some point, Jesus no longer carries his cross. Many of the cross beams that the criminals would have carried could have been close to 100 pounds or more. The soldier that is there seizes or lays hands physically on Simon of Serene and he makes him carry the cross. They're going to the gate to go outside of the city. Simon of Cyrene is coming in. Uh, Cyrene is in North Africa or Libya area. We know that uh, according to Mark that he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Some say, is that the same Rufus in Romans chapter 16? That uh, is, is, is Simon, one who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ? It doesn't say for sure, but it could be. After witnessing what you would witness that day and carrying the cross of Jesus and what we see in one of the thieves on the cross, it's very possible that Simon's life was changed that day. But Jesus' flogging was so severe... <clears throat> It would have been so extreme, fulfilling Psalm 22, which we'll read in a few moments, 
that his bones could be seen. The flesh was shredded off of him. Extreme blood loss. And he could not carry the cross. I know for myself, and maybe you, you have this picture of Jesus falling. And as I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to read all the scripture. For some reason, it struck me. I'm like, there's nothing in scripture that records that Jesus ever fell. Some of you come from maybe a a, a past religious tradition where they would celebrate that Jesus fell three times. Know that if he did, it's not recorded. It's important for you when you read the scripture to not read into what you see in movies or what you read in stories or what people think of what the Bible says. We just know that at one point Jesus was carrying his cross and at another point the soldier seizes Simon of Cyrene and makes him carry and follow Jesus to the place of crucifixion. And some would think, well, he was just, Simon was just in the crowd. The soldiers say, oh, that's a strong guy. But it's according to the providence of God. It's according to God's plan that's perfect that Simon would be there at that moment. And that soldier would grab him and say, carry the cross. And with that, possibly not even moment, knowing at all, the honor that he had to carry the cross beam for Jesus Christ. Look at verses 27 through 31. There's a crowd. When we get to the next chapter in Luke 24, Jesus is uh, walking with a couple of followers of Christ. And there's a point at which uh, he, he, he says some things. They're like, do you not know what happened? Did, I mean, everyone in the city knows. Everyone has turned out to see the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 27, there was a multitude of people, And there were women who were following behind who are mourning and they're lamenting over Jesus. And here's what Jesus turns and says as he is on his way to the cross, as he has already been beaten, as he is weakened, he turns and says this. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And some may wonder, what is Jesus saying to them? What does this have to do with anything? If you go back to Luke chapter 21, read chapter 21 and read specifically verses, uh, I think it's 20 through 25, where Jesus is speaking of these days. Because you say, in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of Jesus going and they're weeping, what is this he's talking about? He's saying that blessed are women who are not married at that time or that they don't have children at this time. And he's specifically referring to what took place in Jerusalem by Rome, in which they overthrew Jerusalem between AD 66 and AD 70. As you read history of what happened there, it's things that a horrible massacre of Jews, things that are so shocking and horrific, it would be hard to even mention them here. And when you read those things, you understand why Jesus would say, blessed to not be married or blessed to not have children at that time because of the death and the things that would the, these people would go through. If you remember when Jesus entered in Jerusalem on what we celebrate Palm Sunday, 
He wept over the city because he knew the wrath of God upon the city that would come by the soldiers of Rome. And he wept over them. And here, even as he's going to the cross, you see his mercy upon the people. He carries this heavy cross, one of sorrow and one of grief. And if you look at verses 32 through 38, the second point is there, there's a criminal's death. Jesus will die a criminal's death. If you had not been here the last few weeks, how many times did Pilate declare Jesus innocent? And you remember? Three times. Three different times, Pilate said, this man has not committed anything worthy of death. Pilate wanted to free Jesus. He wanted to give them another criminal, but they would not be satisfied. And the crowds called for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Nothing will stop this from going forward. The criminal's death for the Son of God will be fulfilled because it will fulfill God's plan of redemption for His people. If you look at a page or so back in your Bible, Luke chapter 22, Jesus has already said this was prophesied and this is going to be fulfilled. Look at chapter 22, verse 37. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah the prophet, hundreds of years before this point, prophesies a criminal's death for Jesus Christ. And Jesus there in Luke 22 says it will happen. And what we see in chapter 23, the fulfillment of it. Isaiah chapter 53, a chapter that I would encourage you to read this week as you reflect on the sufferings and the humiliation and the wrath of God upon his son at the cross. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the plan of God and the prophecy of God's prophets speaking the word of God. And if you look back in Luke 23, verse 32, here's where we see this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Golgotha, the place of the skull, whether it looked like a skull or not, that is the name. It's outside of the city. When you read in the Old Testament, the law, in the book of Leviticus, God uh, had a punishment for anyone who would blaspheme God. And in Leviticus chapter 24, the punishment for blaspheming God was that you would be stoned to death. 
the people of God would take stones and throw them at you until you were dead. But Leviticus was clear that they were to be taken outside of the camp, to be taken outside of the city. And so you see Jesus being crucified on a cross, a criminal's death. He was charged blasphemy by the religious leaders and he was taken out of the city and he was therefore killed and crucified just as someone would have been for blasphemy, according to the book of Leviticus. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 13, yeah, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. It says in verse 11 and 12, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the sinless, spotless, innocent Lamb of God was crucified outside the gates of the city. And Mark chapter 15 tells us that it was at 9 a.m. that they nailed Jesus to a cross. And that Jesus hung there for six hours approximately. Six hours nailed to the cross. Jesus hung. And in the text of Luke chapter 23, it says in verse 33, There they crucified him. Criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Crucifixion was originally created by the Persians between 300 and 400 A.D. And history says that the Romans perfected it. You see, the Persians would just, put, would just put a person on a stake or a pole in the ground. The Romans added the crossbeam and therefore either tied people's arms and legs to the cross or they nailed them through the wrists through the arches of the feet. And crucifixion was not for Roman citizens. It was for violent criminals. It was for slaves. It was for prisoners of war. The Romans made a statement when they crucified people. If you read history, 71 BC, there was a slave rebellion that was put down by Rome and they crucified 6,000 approximately slaves along a 120 mile highway called the Appian Way so that everyone would know, you dare rise against Rome, you will be put to death. Again, being nailed through the wrists, these places of major nerve endings, feet brought together, nailed through the arches. The gospel accounts, when you read them, they do not give you these details, but they say that he was crucified, that you would not dwell on those types of things, but you would pay attention to the fact that Jesus was humiliated and he suffered and he died there. Extreme pain, muscles cramping. You could breathe in, but you could not breathe out unless you raise your body up, putting all of the pressure on your wrists and your feet on those nails. And criminals were crucified naked to cause them shame. 
Some of them would hang on the cross for days. In Jesus' account, we know that it's only hours. If you turn to John chapter 20, I point this out so that you would know that Jesus Christ was not just tied to a cross. And just because it says he was crucified, we do know from Scripture that he was nailed through his hands, through his feet. In John chapter 20, after the resurrection of Christ, in case you didn't know, he dies. But on the third day, he rises again from death to life. And, there's, and his people, his disciples, they witness him. And there's a guy named Thomas. And here is the account in John chapter 20, verses beginning in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and the place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although their doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Listen to this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So for all of you who believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he rose again, Jesus says, because you have not seen him, you have not witnessed him in that sense physically, that you're blessed for your faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was nailed to the cross. And he did hang there. And next week when we focus on the death of Christ and the fact that when Jesus was hanging there, that he was bearing the sins of many, his people, and he died there. And the wrath of God the Father that was meant for you was poured out upon the Son. If you look back at the text, look at what Jesus says. The first of seven statements that we have recorded in the Gospels. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's saying this of his executioners, of the soldiers who are there, who have nailed him to the cross. The soldiers who are there mocking him. Possibly even these religious leaders who are jeering at and mocking him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God the Father watched and saw all of it. And Jesus the Son took every bit of it and never fought against it, but gave himself up. You would think that once Jesus nailed to the cross, all the religious leaders would just stop heckling him, railing at him. You'd think that they'd stop. They wanted him on the cross, and he's there. But if you look at verses 35 through 37, they don't stop. The people stood by watching. The crowd is watching. But it's the rulers who scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers around him, they also mocked him. 
coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And they cast lots to divide his garment. They ridicule, they scoff, they mock, they hurl abuse at Jesus Christ. Turn to Psalm chapter 22. What you see that Luke writes for us, again, is specific, is clear, is detail, fulfillment of prophecy, of scripture, the plan of God set before time being fulfilled here. Psalm chapter 22. It says in verse 7, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. If you look at verse 17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots As Jesus is dying on the cross, the Roman soldiers take his clothing and they cast lots so that they could divide up this cloak as it's recorded in another one of the Gospels. And there's an inscription in verse 38 of Luke 23. It's above Jesus' head. Matthew said it was nailed there. Mark said it was there on the cross. In John, it said, he said it's written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin so that everyone who would see the death of Christ and everyone who would look to, cross, to the cross would hear and read and see this statement. This is the King of the Jews. And the religious leaders went to Pilate and said, please take that down. He's not the King of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written is what I have written. And it will stay there. And so Jesus, carrying a heavy cross of grief and sorrow, being put to death like a criminal, encounters two on the crosses next to him in verses 39 through 43, in which one of them makes a profession of faith. Let's look at this third and final point, a profession of faith. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This first criminal, obviously the crosses are close enough that Jesus can interact with them because again, they have to raise themselves out to breathe out. They are in agony. They don't just have a conversation. There is struggle going on. And one of them is mocking him. Actually, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account, you will see that the other gospel accounts say that both criminals, both criminals attack Jesus verbally. And you must remember, 9 a.m. he was nailed there. 3 p.m. around that time is the end of Christ's life. For six hours, two criminals witnessed Jesus beginning to attack him. One of them dies in his rejection. He is not saved in his rejection of Jesus Christ. But look at verse 40 through 42. There's a second criminal who began by attacking Jesus. And some point in six hours... Has his life changed? His heart moved. His soul stirred. The other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I wonder what it was that stirred that man's heart, what he witnessed to change him. We do know from Scripture it's the Holy Spirit which brings about a conviction of our heart, which shows us that we are sinners in need of the grace of God and a Savior, Jesus Christ. He begins by rebuking the other criminal and saying, Stop! Stop attacking Jesus! He deserves no sin. He's innocent. But we deserve rightly because we are criminals. He says Jesus is innocent. And he professes that Jesus is a king with a kingdom. The power to save because he says to him, when you go to your kingdom day, remember me. He's calling out for the grace of God upon himself to be saved. This man, though, rightly knows that in him there's nothing in him that could save him. And so he humbly pleads for mercy. Romans chapter 10 tells us this in verses 9 through 11. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He professes faith in Jesus. He confesses Jesus as the king. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that a wonderful statement? To hear your Savior say those words. And Jesus makes it very clear in this statement. And what we see this criminal's response to him. Salvation is not by works. Jesus did not say to that criminal, you know what? Pray this, do this right now so I can make sure you get into my kingdom. He didn't say, hey, soldiers, could you take him off the cross for a minute and dunk him underneath some water and then nail him back so that he can go to heaven with me? No, that's why, as you saw today, at the waters of baptism, the water does not save you. Jesus Christ alone, faith in him is what saves So I don't care how many times you've ever attended a church service, how many hundreds, thousands, or pennies that you've given to a church. I don't care if you've gone on mission trips or you've served in a ministry or you've given uh, whatever to other people. If you think that any of that would grant you entrance into the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords place for all eternity, you are wrong. And you will die in your sin. And you will be separated from God forever in hell. And the wrath of God will be upon you forever. Paul is very clear in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10. That you are not saved by your works, but you are saved by the grace of God. Through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And yes, he's made his people that you would do good works. So you should and you must walk in holiness and to do good works that God has called us to do. But know that none of those things will save. 
And I would also add this as, I, as I'm thinking upon the life of the believer. Some of the believers in this room, you need to be reminded of this because, yes, you believe you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but you continue to battle and struggle, maybe with the still battling of sin, whatever it may be. And you think, oh, if I go do this, then God will be pleased with me today. And I've said to you this illustration before. You ever picked a flower when you thought of someone? She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. And I think so many believers struggle in thinking about God's love for them. And they pick up that flower and they say, I went to church. He loves me. Oh, I lied. He loves me not. I went on that mission trip. I gave of this. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Oh, man. I, I sinned greatly this week. Oh, he loves me not. And again, what you're doing is you're putting God in a box in something that you've invented with your human mind. And you're not understanding the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ provided at the cross for you. No works are required for salvation in Christ. And as we look at this in closing, something to also know and and be reminded of is Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, hey, when you die, you're going to go to sleep. And then one day you're going to wake up with me in paradise. He didn't say, hey, you're going to die and you're going to go to this place called purgatory. And then one day you'll work your ways out and I'll see you in heaven. No, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise So the heresies of purgatory or the heresies of soul sleep, those things are not true according to the word of God. That when you die as a believer in Christ, you enter the presence of God Almighty. And there is a day when our bodies are raised and they're glorified and we're given glorified, perfect bodies and no more sin. And we look forward to that day. But if you die today as a believer of Christ, you go to be with him. The Apostle Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain in Philippians chapter one. He writes of this struggle where he's like, I want to die and go and be with Jesus right now. You ever thought that before? Lord, I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of the suffering. I'm tired of the trials. I'm tired of the diseases and sickness. I'm tired of the sin. Could you just take me today? And he doesn't. Because in his plan is to use whatever he allows in your life to glorify him and to minister to others and to be a light to the lost every single day until the day that you see him face to face. Jesus died a criminal's death, fulfilling God's sovereign plan so that his people might live as children of God. I pray that this week and for the rest of your life, every single time you see a cross, that you're reminded of the suffering of Jesus Christ, that you're reminded that he gave his life for you, that you're reminded of the grace that can only be found at the cross of Jesus Christ, and that you would be thankful for those of you who are brothers and sisters in Christ, that the Holy Spirit stirred your heart with affection for God to see the light, to see your sin, and to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. I want to read one passage as we close the preaching of the word and take some bread 
in a cup together this morning. It's in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse beginning in verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep and have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that we have had the opportunity to read your word, to reflect on the cross and the death of your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for taking our sins, for bearing the weight, the wrath of the Father, so that we could be made your sons and daughters and be brought into your kingdom with a great inheritance, which is, being, which is you for all eternity. Father, I pray this morning for any who are here who are far off from you, who have heard the gospel preached to them this morning, that today would be the day of salvation for them, and that they would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would profess that Jesus is Lord. They would confess their sins, that you would save them. And Father, for the followers of Christ that are here, that as we take a piece of bread and a cup together in just a moment, that we would reflect on this, which you did for us, and that we would rejoice and give thanks, and that we would look forward to the hope that we have in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.